0: in the name of God most merciful ever merciful and may God's peace and blessings be upon his holy prophet Muhammad and the purified members of his household and progeny brothers sisters respected viewers assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and welcome to this uh, fifth lesson fifth lecture on the topic of imamah uh, which we have been going over <clears throat> beginning with uh, the notion of imamah itself so we spent a little bit of time uh, trying to understand the different ways that uh, the two big schools of thought and uh, islamic theology have dealt with the issue of imamah And how they understand imama and how in one way it was considered much more of a political leadership role or status or position uh, while in the other school of thought the Shiri school of thought uh, from the beginning it was considered much more of a theological uh, you know pillar of our faith Uh, in the sense that we consider it to be an extension of the role of the prophethood and we explain the reasons for that so we began uh, by explaining the uh, understanding of the notion of imamah and the shia school of thought in that it is a position requiring a divine appointment coming directly from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and without that divine appointment we do not consider the person to have become uh, valid or legitimately in the position of uh, Imam. so the imam cannot be someone who is legitimately representing this religion representing the extension of the role of prophethood if it is not someone who has been appointed not only by the Holy Prophet but appointed by Allah um, The second uh, trait of this person who holds the role of imama, we said it needs to be someone who is therefore infallible. Someone in order to represent this religion and to play the same role as the one played by the holy prophet uh, is going to be someone who absolutely needs to have the same type of infallibility as the one we presented when we talked about prophethood in general prophets need to be infallible otherwise they cannot be trusted with the message and the teachings that they are communicating to humanity uh, and they cannot be really taken as role models and that's one of the purposes why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends prophets is that, is that they are emulated is that they can be followed uh, not only in the teachings that they are Uh, providing and communicating to humanity but also in the manner in which they conduct themselves uh, and they therefore become a true role model they personify the teachings that they are providing to human beings and the last point that we said uh, forms the three three traits of uh, an Imam is that they need to have uh, divine knowledge an access to knowledge that comes directly from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so that as they teach and as they guide humanity we must be sure that the teachings and the answers that they are providing the guidance that they are providing is actually 100% aligned with what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants them to teach which means that it has to come from him it cannot be the type of knowledge that you and i can acquire simply by reading books and by thinking and by doing research that type of knowledge this is called acquired knowledge hasooli. this ilm, this ilm is always open to uh, you know gaps being incomplete being mistaken intentionally or unintentionally so when we need someone to play the role this divine role of imamah it absolutely needs to be someone who meets all of those three criteria and then we went on to establishing each one of these criteria with reason and with, uh, and with scripture, basically. So we said from a rational point of view, if the Holy Prophet was unable, because of the circumstances, not because of any shortcomings on his side, but because of the circumstances in which he had to deliver this religion, and to teach humanity and he only had 23 years that were extremely eventful and extremely difficult uh, on him on, and on his followers who were not always able to first of all capture uh, and collect and, and uh, write down everything that he said or did and two uh, they were not always at the maturity level required to understand how this may be useful for future generations And so in order to preserve it and to have the maturity to understand how this may be applicable that this what he just did here the manner in which he spoke or the manner in which he conducted himself would become a principle from which you can derive uh, all sorts of applications that would only become clear later on and so this was not really entirely clear to all the followers of the Holy Prophet during his time and we saw examples of the difficulties that he encountered all the way until he passed away leaving the Islamic world in a state where they the Muslims can't even agree on uh, the exact manner in which the Holy Prophet performed his wudu' which would be something that he would perform on a daily basis perhaps multiple times a day in front of his followers Uh, again and again every single day until the end of uh, his mission until he leaves this world and it is not something that anyone would have anything to gain from if if they are to distort or to uh, communicate that uh, in an incomplete manner uh, and in a manner that is not clear and exactly matching the holy prophets actual wudu. and yet we see that there is so much discrepancy about something as simple and as straightforward and as non related to things of power and money and reputation as wudu, and still the Islamic world was unable to uh, completely reach a consensus of exactly how the Holy Prophet was performing his wudu. All of that to say, and this so therefore apply that to every other teaching in Islam, and you will see the need for someone to remain after the holy prophet and to continue his mission so that with time and over generations the truth becomes clear to those who are really looking for the truth and if there are distortions if there are things that are incompletely uh, communicated to people that all of that would be clarified and will be uh, you know made very uh, you know distinct uh, the the truth between truth and falsehood between complete and incomplete would be clarified and distinguished for everyone to to be able to, uh, to Follow as they would like to and as they need to so we said that there's a need There's a necessity for this person to continue and in order to continue the mission of the Holy Prophet they need to carry the main the same main characteristics and traits that we find in prophets so they need to be divinely appointed they need to have access to divine knowledge and they need to be infallible and then we went on to prove each one of these points individually so we proved that in the time of the holy prophet how there was a divine appointment of the person to continue the role of the holy prophet very clearly uh, in a manner that leaves no ambiguity to anyone at that time which was the appointment of imam Ali which happened multiple times, numerous times, with one time being the most public and the most forceful and the most open so that there, you know, is absolutely no more uh, confusion or no more questions or doubts about the issue. But to be clear that this is something that uh, actually happened, so we said this was the appointment of, appointment of Imam Ali alayhi salam, at Ghadir Khum, and we explained that entire incident and we explained how this was only the most public and the most official of those appointments of Imam Ali alayhi salam is Imam otherwise the appointment of the Imam as someone of Imam Ali alayhi salam, as a person who will succeed and continue the prophetic mission was happening from the beginning of the prophetic mission when the Holy Prophet was instructed to uh, invite the closest members of his family and the heads of the tribes of his family all of them to invite them to religion And this was the very beginning of the public invitation to Islam so right in the very beginning of the prophetic mission and we saw how the Holy Prophet appointed Imam Ali already at that time as an Imam and as his successor and as his wazir and so on and so forth and so you look at almost 20 years later and you see the appointment uh, again and with that you clearly see the role that was played by the Imam and then we moved to uh, the role the 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 characters or the traits of uh, the divine knowledge uh, and the infallibility and the need for them so we established one that they are necessary and two, how to prove them so we're not going to repeat all of that so the only really uh, no new topic that is left and we promised that we would cover in order to kind of wrap up the big theme of imamah which uh, we've been going through is the topic of the last Imam, the twelfth Imam, Imam al-Mahdi Allah sharif which we are going to be covering today. So, um, if we go through Islamic, the Islamic position towards this last of the Imams, Imam al-Mahdi Allah What is the Islamic position? So, this is without coming specifically to the Shia belief. You might think that the Shi'a are distinctive in this, uh, that they have their own different belief that does not match that of the others. So what about the Islamic position with regards to uh, believing in the last imam, the, the 12th imam, Imam Al-Mahdi, Farajah. If we go through the narrations available in the Sunni school of thought, they are very, very clear that there is going to be a 12th imam who will appear at the end of times there is a consensus among the all of the narrators that the uh, Mehdi will appear at the end of times that he will be the last of the Imams that he is going to be a descendant from the Holy Prophet from Quraysh that the number of the Imams uh, in the Uh, cycle of imam in Islam is the same as the number of the tribes of Bani Israel so clearly the Holy Quran says that they are 12 Uh, there is no question about that so there are 12 imam in Islam very recognized so he needs to be the last of them very clear in many many narrations that uh he there are going to be nine from the descendants from the sons of imam hussein who are the imams and therefore he is the last of them and the reason i'm mentioning these is you can see in the narrations how it becomes more and more restrictive so the more conditions you add the more it can only be one person okay so now the only thing i would add here is in that in the sunni school of thought there are some narrations but compared to the ones that talk about Imam al-Hussain, there are very few and not considered as authentic, but a few narrations are there saying that he is of the sons of Imam al of Al-Hassan. A.S. In any case, the majority of the narrations say that he is of the sons of Imam al-Hussain, A.S., and then they are named consecutively, right? We we know that there are narrations that talk about that and then if you go to the shia schools uh, school of thought in addition to all of this we have the specific names of every single imam so there is no more any doubt you can't even skip from imam Al al-hussain to imam Al mahdi with maybe some ambiguity in between them we we know them we know what their characters were and then we have in the case of every imam clearly stating who the next imam is going to be and as we said for every imam once you are an imam then Whatever you say and whatever you do becomes valid and legitimate as a source of knowledge and authority. So if you say so-and-so is the imam after me, it's like the Holy Prophet or the Holy Quran saying so-and-so is the imam. Okay? And so this is clear from this both sides of the Sunni and the Shia schools of thought that there is going to be an imam and that he is going to be of the descendants of the Holy Prophet through Imam Ali, through Imam Hussain salam, and he is going to be number 12 in the cycle. Now, if we concentrate on Imam, uh, Imam Al-Hujjah His name, the Holy Prophet tells us that his name is the name of the Holy Prophet. His nickname is the same nickname as the Holy Prophet. And he's also known as the one Al-Qa'im Ta'ala, Al-Qa'im is the one who rises. Okay, so that's one of his names. Another name is the awaited one, Al-Muntabar, the one that people are going to be waiting for. And he is Sahibul Zaman right sahib or sahib the master of the affair or the master of the time when you look at each one of these you already start to get a very clear indication why would someone be referred to in this way why would someone be referred to as the one who will rise or the one who is going to be awaited or the one who is the master of time so already you start getting a very clear well you know a general idea of who this person is and maybe some of the circumstances surrounding him the one who will rise the one who is going to be awaited in other words there is a long wait for him the master of the time what does that tell you about him it tells you that there is absolutely going to be a very long duration then somehow he is responsible or somehow he plays a role in there and of course once we Combine that with what we know today after the fact very easy to say that there is going to be a reba, and occultation and that you know today his, his age is you know in the 12th century uh, Around there. So he's been alive for 12 centuries now It makes perfect sense why he would be referred to in both the Sunni and the Shia school of thought as the master of the time or the awaited one Okay, and of course, you know, we're not going to go into this. This is a very very big topic there are some scholars who have gone through uh, the narrations in Islam, and they say there is no topic in Islam that about which there are as many narrations, as many ahadith as the topic of Imam al-Mahdi, ta'ala, just so that you know. So we're barely scratching the surface about this topic, but I think uh, it's still important at least to give this a uh, broad overview. The first point we want to cover is this point of the global rule or the divine rule when we talked about the topic of prophethood we said that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent the guidance to humanity through prophets and one of the reasons this communication of revelation the revelation the scriptures the teachings from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to humanity is why one of the reasons is that humanity is actually guided you know how you're supposed to act how you're supposed to behave how you're supposed to you know do this don't do that the prescriptive part there's a relationship with Allah there are relationships between people okay there is also a second point is that you want to accelerate the maturity of humanity so you basically give them things that become keys and principles that you would not have discovered on your own or maybe as humanity you may have discovered them but in much much later and so Allah Subhanahu wa Taala gives them these teachings through the prophets and humanity may accelerate its maturity through this way that's the second reason Prophet were said a third reason is that this is the way you actually learn and uh, get a clear idea of how you're supposed to purify yourself spiritually And i'm not going to get into the details of all of this but you look at the different cultures and the different religions of the world and sometimes you truly wonder how something that you're watching and witnessing can be considered a spiritual ritual that is allowing someone to feel that they are more pure for instance at the end and we as human beings need those things that's why it's universal you find that in every culture we are lucky in Islam to have received those from the Holy Prophet and to have received instructions that actually are fully compatible with human nature and with what you actually need as a human being. Okay? So all of that put aside, in addition to all of this, all of these reasons why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would have sent prophets to guide humanity, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also tells us that it is to establish a just society. It is to establish a society that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is happy with, is satisfied with. So he sends a prophet one after another, and then all the imams sent one after another. All of this so that there is a divine rule that is established, so that you see how things are supposed to work if the laws of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the teachings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the creator of the human being, the one who's trying to tell him, this is the manner in which you're supposed to conduct yourself individually and socially and in the, in the best uh, interest of yourself, of your society, of the people who will come after you, and so on and so forth from every angle, in the most balanced way, in the way that will make you the happiest in this world and the next. All of this becomes impossible if you don't have a just society. And the more unjust that society is, the more you are going to have barriers preventing you from living the life you're supposed to live. You can try to be the best person you possibly can, but because you're stuck in a society that is unjust, to that extent, you're going to have barriers and obstacles preventing you from actually going towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the most optimal way and that's why there is this insistence and importance on establishing a rule a divine rule where you have basically a platform a foundation in order to move towards allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in every angle so you have the economy you have the politics you have the law you have you know social development the education system every angle that you could think of would actually be taken care of properly if humanity were to follow The problem is, if you look at human history, you see that this has never, ever been fully achieved. Even in the time of the Holy Prophet, the Holy Prophet himself would not tell you this is the perfect, uh, just divine society. This is, uh, you know, you have the most competent of all the leaders throughout human history right there. But because it's not a fully just society because the people in there you still have hypocrites and you still have liars and you still have atheists and disbelievers and people who are rejecting secretly or entering into Islam for the wrong reasons or so on and so forth you don't have a just society that never was the case you look at the time Imam Ali became a ruler it was basically three big wars and then he was assassinated a just society has never really truly been achieved okay and it's not something that you can impose from the outside the human beings must want to be the ones who establish that society and live within it otherwise it doesn't count this is one of the purposes for which the divine teachings are being sent so all of this needs to kept be kept in mind when we think about uh, Imam al farajah the 12th Imam so now if you look at the Holy Quran it also makes this point very clear it says messengers who give good news and warnings so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says you know if you do good you're going to heaven and you're going to have a good life and if you do bad you're going to hell so that humankind may not have any arguments about Allah after the sending of the messengers okay so all of this the role of the prophets is that the they establish, they give all the arguments, they provide all the truths in a clear way with miracles, with support, in a convincing manner, so that there's no more excuse to believe or not to believe. But it's not to impose that just society on people, it's to get them to go- want to be going towards that and to establish that by themselves. So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Despite the fact that this has not been accomplished, Allah has always promised in each one of his scriptures that this is going to take place, that there is going to be a divine, a global rule, a rule where all of humanity is going to fully experience and witness what the world would look like if there's actually an application of the divine teachings on earth this has been mentioned in all of the scriptures of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala which he has sent to humanity including the holy quran so prophecy prophecy has also said so whether you look at it from the scriptures or you look at it from the narrations in our case we know that justice is going to be established and therefore we require the conditions that will get us to that justice at the end and then when we look at the message of the holy prophet himself we see that it was a gigantic step for humanity in that direction so humanity was going along and they knew that it needs to be put in a certain condition and a certain uh, set of circumstances that will end up generating that just society humanity was already moving in that direction except that you know sometimes it moves three steps forward and two steps backwards and sometimes it, it starts veering in in the wrong direction life right and left so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that with the advent of Islam, with the sending of the Holy Prophet, this became a gigantic leap, a huge step forward towards establishing that just society for humanity. That's why he says, multiple places in the Quran, it is he who has sent his apostle or his messenger with the guidance and the religion of truth that he may make it prevail over all religions. So we know that now this is going to be part of that divine plan towards a global divine rule. Okay? And then we said obviously we know this did not happen at the time of the Holy Prophet himself and there therefore there was this need for an extension of the cycle of prophethood which ended with the sealing of prophethood with the sealing with the seal of the prophets with the Holy Prophet sallallahu the extension of that cycle with a second cycle that one the cycle of Imamah so that this prophetic mission going towards the divine rule and the global rule the establishment of divine justice on earth is finally achieved and when we know that for the first 11 Imams that was not achieved then the role now entirely depends and rests on the shoulders of the last of these Imams this is the only logical possibility from everything that we have said until now and if you go back to the narration so this is more of a rational uh uh you know presentation or argumentation and if you go to the uh narrations then this becomes very very clear there's no doubt about it so in the holy quran the holy quran tells us in multiple instances that this divine uh rule the divine a uh, world where the divine teachings are actually applied consistently to establish justice on earth is going to take place allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says chapter 7 uh, chapter 21 uh, uh, verse 105 it says certainly we wrote in the Psalms after the reminder so Psalms is the Zabur of Dawood a. certainly we wrote in the Psalms after the reminder indeed my righteous servants shall inherit the earth has this happened no but Allah is saying that this is a divine promise that this is going to happen the righteous servants are going to inherit the earth. In another uh, verse, 128, verse 128, chapter 7, it says, And Musa said to his people, turn to Allah for help and be patient. Why? The earth indeed belongs to Allah and he gives its inheritance, so those who inherit the earth, and he gives his inheritance to whomever he wishes of his servants, and the outcome will be in favor of the god weary Those who are afraid of Allah, those who have taqwa. Another verse, 28:5, it says, And we desired. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that He wanted to show favor to those who were abased in the land, those who were forced to seem like they were lowly and submitted to others, those who were abased in the land, and to make them imams, and to make them the heirs, to make them the ones who inherit the land. In another verse it says "24:55, Allah has promised those of you who have faith and do righteous deeds that he will surely make them successors in the earth just as he has made those who were before them successors and he will surely establish for them their religion in which he has approved for them and that he will surely change their state to security after their fear while they worship me not ascribing any partners to me has this happened Do we have a state in the world where in the entire world there is no one who believes in Allah and who follows Allah and who really feels that they can actually be freely worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or is there always injustice and there's always oppression and there's always abasement and injustice going on against those people and whoever is ungrateful after that it is they who are the transgressors so this is some of the verses of the Holy Quran if we go to the narrations if we look at the sunni narrations about imam al-mahdi we see that there is more than tawatur more than tawatur it is not even open for discussion there is a strong strict belief in uh, imam al-mahdi in the sunni school of thought in fact and this is a point that i have researched personally a lot many sunni scholars have clearly stated that if you do not believe in the Coming of the Mahdi, then you are not a Muslim. Then your faith is lacking. This is obligatory and necessary upon you as a Muslim to believe in the Mahdi and his reappearance at the end of times. And then many Sunni scholars have actually written entire books on the topic of the Mahdi, So very easy to see what they think. There are different ideas, different you know, in the details and the nuances. But the general idea that there will be a savior that will come out. From the line, the lineage, the the progeny of the Holy Prophet who will appear at the end of times and who will reestablish justice on earth after it has been filled with injustice and oppression. This is a consensus among the Muslims. A couple of examples from the narrations. The Holy Prophet, if you look at Sahih al Tirmidhi, if you have Sunan ibn Dawood, Mustad Ahmed ibn Hanbal, Yanabi'i al Muadda, many other books, the Holy Prophet says, if there remained but a single day in this world, and so this is to clearly establish that this is a divine promise. This is not one of those things that may or may not happen. This is not one of those things that could change. Allah Subhanahu wa is saying, despite how the, the world and the events of the world were, will unfold, at the end, even if there was only one day left in this world, God would still send a man from my household who will fill the earth with justice as it was filled with injustice. And then if we look at, uh, you know, uh, Sahih Muslim, Abu Dawood, Al-Nisa'i, Ibn uh, Weyhaqi, otherwise uh, others. Um Salama reports that the Holy Prophet said, Al-Mahdi is from my progeny, from the sons of Fatima. And then we have from Ibn Abbas, Al-Mawadda, he says that the Holy Prophet said, Certainly Ali is the imam of my nation after me. From his sons will be Al-Qa'im Al-Muntadhar, the one rising and the one who is awaited. Who, when he appears, will fill the earth with justice and equity after it was filled with injustice and oppression. Okay, so the occultation. So this is the distinguishing feature of this 12th imam. After everything we said applies to the imam. We talked about the infallibility, about the appointment, about the divine knowledge. All of that applies to the imam as it applies to all the other imams. What is really distinct, the distinctive feature of the 12th Imam is the fact that he has gone into occultation, that he has a ghaiba Now, we may think that this is only something that happened and people started believing in it after the fact. No this is something that was well known especially especially in the Shia school of thought the followers of the imams knew that the imam would have a gaybah in fact this is the reason why they actually believed in some cases because one of the imams for instance would be imprisoned for many years they would think that this imam is actually Maybe the Imam al-Ghaib, maybe the 12th Imam, because he has disappeared and cannot be seen because he's imprisoned, for instance. So the idea that the last of the Imams is going to have an occultation, is going to disappear and will not be seen by the commoners, by the general public, is something that is very well established, especially in the Shia school of thought. So a couple of narrations on that we have from uh, Abd al-Azim al-Hassani, he says from Imam al-Jawad Alayhi salam from his forefathers that Imam Ali Alayhi salam said among us, so Imam Ali is talking, he says, among us, al-Qa'im will be in a long occultation. I can see the Shia roaming during his occultation as the cattle's roam. They will seek a pasture, but will find none. Those among them who can remain firm in their belief, and whose hearts will not go hard because of the length of the imams occultation of their imams occultation they will be with me Imam Ali a.s. is talking or you know Imam al-Jawad is reporting Imam Ali a.s. is talking they will be with me in my rank on the day of judgment then he said when our Qa'im will rise he will not have given his pledge of allegiance to any oppressor so his birth will be concealed and he shall go into ghaibah into occultation okay we don't have time to comment on the hadith but I think it's an important hadith to keep in mind especially if you keep in mind that Imam Ali salam, is already saying this Imam Sajjad salam he says he reports from his father Imam Hussein. he reports that Imam Ali also said our qa'im Will have two occultations one of them will last longer than the other none will remain firm in their belief in his imamah save those who possess a strong certitude and a truthful knowledge why this starts to give you an indication that perhaps the occultation is going to last a long time to the point where a lot of people are going to start doubting And during that time there are all sorts of objections and questions and new confusing ambiguous ideas that are going to arise and the more time goes by the fewer and fewer people are going to maintain that faith in that last imam and that's why the the, both of those narration narrations are clear that it's going to be very difficult to maintain that faith only those who are very strong in their certainty and their belief and their knowledge about that Imam are not going to lose that faith in that last Imam. Okay, and so we continue with the idea of this occultation. Again, we don't have a lot of time to go through this. I think the points are very clear. If we look at the history of the Imams from the time of Imam Ali, their lives, Imam al Hassan, the Imam al Hussein, the events of Karbala and then each and every one of the Imams and how they were dealt with by the people of their time. Imam Al-Hasan was almost assassinated by the closest people and those who were considered to be his companions. They turned against him. They thought that it was a wrong act for him to force a peace treaty with Muawiyah for instance. At the time of Imam Hussain how did that society, how did that nation of Muslims, how did they deal with Imam Hussain How many were actually with him at the end? If you look at the life of Imam Sajjad, was he not martyred at the end? Imam al-Baqir, Imam al Sadiq, Imam al-Kadim, Imam al Riba, Imam al-Jawad, each one of them, you look at the oppression, the difficulties, the assassination attempts, the imprisonments, all of them, one by one, you see all of them, the difficulties they faced, and at the end, they were all killed, each and every one of them. They, since the time, perhaps of you know, Imam al, al, uh, actually starting even with the Amawiyin, but it was mostly the Abbasiyin who started, uh, you know, utilizing, monopolizing uh, the idea of the Mahdi. They knew the Khulafa knew that there is going to be a Mahdi sent at the end of times and there is a trend in history for those who are you know really interested in history if you dig enough in history you will find a trend that especially some Amawiyyins started that but it was during the time of the Abbasin that there is a trend that is very clear in how they started calling their sons either their real name or their nickname as the Mahdi so that because they know that there are so many people in society who are waiting for this mahdi that they are trying to get them to follow this person and then they become the khalifa and that person is you know a lot more followed on a religious ground on a religious foundation okay so they knew the expectation of the general masses as well as the tyrants of the khalifa they knew that there is going to be an Imam by the name of al-Mahdi who is going to appear at the end of times and that you know these and those are his characteristics as explained by the Holy Prophet and as is well known at the time of the Imams who continued to teach all of us and then you go all the way to the time of Imam al-Hasan al-Askari so Imam al-Hadi and Imam al-Hasan al-Askari were under very severe circumstances the manner in which they lived they were basically imprisoned in their own homes they were uh, you know, they they could not move, they could not travel, people could not get in and out of their houses or visit them or so on and so forth. And so if you look at all of this combined together, you see that all the way down to Imam al-Hasan al askari there were never really any conditions allowing any of the Imams to establish this divine rule on earth. Okay, the conditions were always against them. And if all the hope for humanity is now going to rest on this one last divinely appointed you know uh, individual who is performing the divine mission then this person needs to be protected this person cannot be martyred like the other imams who are martyred he cannot be oppressed and, and treated unjustly and prevented from performing his mission so what happens at the time of Imam al Hasan al Askari alayhi salam, through a series of circumstances that can be considered miraculous, the Imam alayhi salam is born and in a way that is almost unknown to the majority of the people, Imam al Hassan al Askari alayhi salam informs only the closest of his companions and he tells them to go and tell the most trustworthy of the Shia living in other lands that the Imam, the final Imam, the 12th Imam, has now been born. Okay? So only the select few were made aware of this and then afterwards very quickly the imam went into his first Occultation at a very young age perhaps around, you know, the the age of five years uh, the imam when his father, Imam Hassan al Askari, alayhi salam passes away and he becomes an imam right away he goes into hiding and he starts to interact with the Shia and the followers who are trying to uh, seek his guidance and his teachings he interacts with them through a Selected appointed representative in Arabic, they refer to them as the nuab al arba'a. So he appointed one person and he told everybody, This is my only representative. I meet with this person and he meets with me. And I, whatever questions, concerns you may have, you can go through him for those and he will get them to me if need be. If he needs to consult me and get to me. Once the first person passed away, the imam appointed a second, and then a third, and then a fourth. When the fourth of the representatives of the imam was about to pass away, and the imam informed him that is going to happen in, you know, about five days, and you're going to pass away, from this point onward, I will no longer select anyone appointed to represent me after this. So for that, you have to go back to the specialist, of the hadith of al Bayt in general. So the Imam is no longer going to have a selected person that he appoints by name and says this person is going to represent me. And from that point on, uh, this was about 69 years and some months. So we say generally speaking, 70 months, 70 years, about seven years for those four representatives to play their role. And at the end of that was the beginning of the long, great occultation, which is the Reba al-Kubra, the Reba that the Imam is still in right now, so that we cannot see him, and we don't have a direct representative from the Imam to interact with the Imam directly through. So why, why would the Imam go into this occultation? Based on everything we said, the main reason should become clear. It's that Allah subhanahu wa Taala wants to make sure that this imam is going to be protected from the tyrants, from the oppressors, from the people that are going to most likely cause conditions at the end of which he is going to be killed, martyred, assassinated, just like every single imam before him. So Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala creates conditions so that he is protected and preserved. He defends him against all of this until the time is absolutely right for him to rise and be able to play that role, okay, to perform his mission as Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala wants him to perform this mission. And this idea that maybe we ask so why did it happen? This may seem like the ra- the rational Uh, answer we can give and it's also the answer that the Imams themselves gave us Imam Sadiq has said when he was asked why would he go into occultation so imagine this is happening at the time of Imam Sadiq say year 150 155 this is when this is happening and they're asking the Imam when why would he go into occultation and the Imam says there will be an occultation of the Qaim before his rising The narrator says, and why is that? The imam answered, because he fears the slaying of himself. Not in the sense that he fears because he's afraid of dying. Of course, the imams are not afraid of dying. He fears that if this happens, then that's it. Humanity, humanity's hope of actually reaching that end result of having justice established on earth disappears. He is the last hope of humanity for that and then there are of course many many other reasons mentioned this is the main reason for the ghaiba one of the reasons as we said is that it's very difficult for people to maintain their faith when the ghaiba lasts this long so allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses the ghaiba as a test this is a challenge are you actually going to continue to believe in him more than that are you actually going to continue to believe in religion if someone has disappeared for this long are you going to actually still think that the prophecy is going to happen are you even going to continue to believe in God and religion see it becomes a test for humanity Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses the length of the ghaibah to see how are people actually going to perform how are they going to conduct themselves and are there other benefits does it mean that the Imam when he is in disappearance when he is in occultation does it mean that that's it that he plays absolutely no role he's just sitting there waiting absolutely not and so we have a hadith for instance from Imam as in which he says since the creation of Prophet Adam the earth will never be void of an authority a hajjah over it at any given time since Prophet Adam Imam Sadiq says, there will never be, there has never been and will never be a time where there is no hijjah on this ground. When there is no person who represents God on this earth. Either apparent and known, so apparent as in someone who is seen, who is known as being the hijjah of Allah, the representative of God on earth. Or unseen and hidden. He may be unseen, people can't see him, but he's still there he might be in hiding but he's still there he's performing his duty and it will never be void this earth will never be void of a hajjah until the time of the hour which is Yom Al-Qiyamah and if it were not for this Imam Sadiq says God would not be worshipped and this could be interpreted in all sorts of ways it could mean that it is through him And his hidden, invisible to us guidance of humanity that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continues to be worshipped in the right way. He is the one who kind of steers within the hidden hand that He plays in the affairs of the world. He steers people so that they continue. There are at least some groups of people who continue to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as He should be worshipped. And of course, another interpretation of this is that no one on earth actually worships Allah in that manner only the hajja of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows how to worship allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in a manner that he deserves to be worshiped that he is worthy of being worshiped and because of this in other words people don't deserve to live there is no reason for this whole world to exist if it were not for allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be worshiped and if no one is worshiping allah except this person then the presence of this person is the only reason why this whole world exists no one else deserves to continue to exist so he becomes the reason for the mercy of Allah for the remaining an existence of everyone else as a result of this one person's worship and this one person's relationship with Allah and that's why the Imam says and if it were not for this God would not be worshipped and then the narrator said and how will people benefit from an authority who is unseen and hidden. And this is the famous answer from Imam sadiq when he says, yeah, it's true that he's unseen and hidden. He said, like they benefit from the sun when the clouds conceal it. Is the sun still there? Yeah. Do you see it? No, there are too many clouds. You can't see the sun. Does it mean that there are no more benefits of having the sun? And especially today, when we understand what the sun does to the earth, when we understand how this basically entire existence on this planet is entirely dependent on the sun and the role that the sun plays from the gravity of the sun from the heat of the sun from everything that you could think of is coming from the life the source of our life on earth is a combination of factors and one of the biggest ones is the relationship between the earth and the sun the ratio the distance the temperature any and so on and so forth so If we add to all of this all of the reports of the people who have actually seen the Imam and who have benefited from the Imam either through scientific knowledge either through being helped in all sorts of ways then we see that the Imam for sure there is no doubt that the Imam does play a role while we cannot see him while we cannot encounter him while we may not recognize him if we see him face to face That does not prevent him from continuing to play his role even though he is in occultation okay Imam al-Sadiq in another narration was asked about the reason why Imam al-Mahdi will be in occultation so he answered in a long narration he says the wisdom behind his occultation will only be revealed after his reappearance this affair so this ghaibah of the Imam Is not going to be known why the Imam was in hiding until after he appears the full answer is only going to be provided after he reappears that's one and even then look what the Imam says even after he reappears and it becomes clear why the Imam was in hiding even then he says the this affair is one of the affairs of God exalted as he and a secret from his secrets And a hidden matter from his hidden matters and since we know that God look at how the Imam argues and since we know that God exalted and sublime as he is wise then we believe that all of his actions are wisdom even though their reasons are not uncovered to us and this is basically to me the real answer the real answer of why there is a Gheba is we don't know we will know if the Imam tells us if the imam tells us this is the reason of the raybah we say yes that's the reason of the raybah if we don't know we say this is one of the matters of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala this is a sir this is a secret of allah and we may know a part of it and we may not know a part of it allahu a'lam we completely submit to allah and we know that everything he does stems from his mercy and his compassion and his wisdom and his justice for this world okay more than that the presence of Imam al-Mahdi will always constitute the hope for humanity and this is an extremely important point human beings know that there's going to be someone for which they need to work and prepare so that when he appears he may play his prophetic role his divine mission in establishing justice on this planet does this mean that we just sit back and let the world basically burn itself to destruction Awaiting the reappearance of the Savior is that what it is meant of all of this so that we it's basically a passive form of waiting Absolutely not. This is the worst thing that we can do the more we think and the more we study this topic of the ghaibah of the Imam the more we start to understand that the entire or huge part of the purpose is that we need to be doing our share the point of the occultation is not that we await for a savior to come and do everything for us that means that we're not ready this is exactly what happened in the case of every single prophet and imam that they had someone who came and he tried to do everything for them and the really good ones tried to help but they were not enough our role is to prepare the ground for him so that when he comes he can actually lead a group of people who are prepared to work in that direction to create that justice if this does not happen then humanity never becomes ready to play host to this imam, to accept this imam and to actually have that imam lead them it means that they're passively waiting for him without perfecting themselves and perfecting this world and preparing it for his arrival now a couple of things that I thought would be interesting to end with and we don't have uh, we only have a few minutes to, to do this so I'll go very quickly you know in the verses that we recited uh, الذكر, as we said in all of the previous uh, divine promises as they were found in the previous scriptures there is a mention that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to make this earth inherited by those who are the most righteous that who are going to be made imams, and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is going to allow them to re-establish justice on this earth, right? And so we said that there are multiple uh, verses of the Quran, and this is the one. Certainly, we wrote in the Psalms after the Reminder: "Indeed, my righteous servants shall inherit the earth." So, if we go digging in the Psalms as they exist today, we don't think that the Psalms that exist today. If you go in the old and the new testament of course we don't think that they match but if we dig through them this is what i was trying to do if we dig through them what do we discover what do we find out are there any mentions that may be talking about this awaited savior and what happens at the end of times or not so here i decided i will just read very quickly some parts that I think they some of them may be interpreted as being about the holy prophets and others it's ambiguous it could be about the holy prophet or it could be about the awaited Savior the one who will appear at the end of times to reestablish justice on earth so let's read them together I don't have too much time to comment please think about them go read them by yourself so the first one is in the book of Daniel 7 verse 8 and it continues there and of course i didn't quote everything i would invite you to go and read more but these passages i thought are are much more interesting he says as i looked so this is what he is describing as kind of a prophecy or a vision that he had okay so he writes he says as i looked thrones were set in place and the ancient of days who is this ancient of days could it be the master of the time the ancient of days took his seat his clothing was white as snow the hair of his head was white like wool his throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze a river of fire was flowing coming out from before him thousands upon thousands attended ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him the court was seated and the books were opened. in my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. That's one passage. Another passage in John 16 and this one is called the work of the holy spirit but very truly i tell you it is for your good that i am going away isa telling his his disciples unless i go away the advocate or the comforter that's how you find it in different translations but literally it means the great one okay unless i go away the advocate will not come to you or the comforter will not come to you but if i go i will send him to you when he comes he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment but when he the spirit of truth comes he will guide you into all the truth he will not speak on his own he will speak only what he hears revelation and he will tell you what is yet to come so he prophesies okay so who is this person that Prophet Isa is referring to as the comforter, as the advocate, the one who is can only come after Isa leaves this world, and who will guide with the spirit of truth in this manner, only saying what he hears. Okay, and another one, in another passage in Revelations three fourteen, this is al-amin al-sadiq. Look at the words. This is what they would translate to. These are the words of the amin the faithful and true witness the ruler of god's creation okay anyways so again i would invite you to go and see them and then this is the last passage and i'll stop with this in psalms 72 this is the zabor psalms is the Zabur. okay this is another interesting passage right from the beginning psalms 72 verse 1 endow the kind with your justice o god the royal son with your righteousness this is a prayer okay let's watch the prayer endow the kind with your justice oh god the royal son with your righteousness may he judge your people in righteousness your afflicted ones with justice may the mountains bring prosperity to the people the hills the fruit of righteousness so remember i'm sure that many of you have heard at the end of times when the imam appears and justice is re-established how the treasures and the bounties and the ni'am of the earth is all going to come forth and it will be very easy and there's no more going to be a need for money and so on and so forth okay look at the words may he judge your people in righteousness your afflicted ones with justice may the mountains bring prosperity to the people and the hills the fruit of righteousness May he defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. May he endure as long as the sun, as long as the moon through all generations. Who can this be said about? Who can this apply to? May he be like the rain falling on a moon field, like showers watering the earth. So this is the need. Imagine a ground, crops that really need that water and finally it comes. In his day, may the righteous flourish and prosperity abound till the moon is no more. May he rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May the desert tribes bow before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tashish and of distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba present him gifts. May all kings bow down to him and all nations serve him, for he will deliver the needy who cry out. The afflicted who have no one to help, he will take pity on the weak and the needy, and save the needy from death, from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence. From precious, for precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold from Sheba be given to him. May people ever pray for him and bless him all day long. May grain about throughout the land abound throughout the land. On the tops of the hills may it sway. May the crops flourish like Lebanon and thrive like the grass, the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. May it continue as long as the sun. Then all nations will be blessed through him and they will call him blessed. As I said, I think this may be potentially applicable to the Holy Prophet ﷺ or to uh, the 12th Imam, the one who will reappear to reestablish justice on earth with this we have completed the main topics that we wanted to cover regarding imam al-mahdi تعالى, الشريف, as well as the general topic of Imam. i will invite you now dear brothers and viewers to over the next couple of days please let me know how you would like to proceed so we can either begin with the topic of the last of the topics that we wanted to talk about in the system of beliefs that we're explaining, which is the afterlife. So either we begin with the afterlife or we can spend one or two or three lectures to complete any of the topics that we have covered until now. So we can talk about anything and everything related to the topic of imamah or nubuah in general, or the Nubu'ah of the Holy Prophet, or anything related to the existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His attributes, anything related to any of this, we may spend a couple of lectures on, and then inshallah, the next topic that we will enter is the topic of the afterlife. So I'm gonna let you think about that, giving you a couple of days. If you already know, let me know after I prepare the uh, next couple of lessons inshallah, or we just continue with our plan and we begin the topic of the afterlife, uh, the next time we meet uh, keep me in your prayers I will keep you in mind inshallah uh, allow me just to see quick question do you recommend any books to learn about Imam al-Mahdi تعالى, this is an excellent question um, the topic of Imam al-Mahdi الله, فرجه, is, an, is a fascinating topic and uh, yes there are many books I will post a couple of them uh, on, on, uh, on our group uh, it depends. So, if you're looking more to answer the main objections related to Imam Al-Mahdi, the fact that he ex- exists today, that he is an occultation, and that uh, there is no issue with the fact that his occultation has lasted for this long and may last for a lot longer, that there are no issues with that, then there are some books that talk about that. For instance, there is a book by Sayyid Muhammad Bakr Al-Sadr that talks about, you know, the awaited savior, for instance. Uh, and many other books to that regard. There are other books that talk about another topic that I think a lot of people are fascinated with, which is the signs of the end of times, uh, not in the end of times, meaning the end of the world, but the signs that happen leading to the reappearance of the imam. There are many books about that, many more in Arabic, not that many in English related to that, uh, and I can uh, maybe uh, write a couple of them down. And then there are, you know, generally speaking, the general books related to Imam Al-Mahdi, Aja Allah that just generally speaking talk about a little bit of his biography and that give an overview of his occultation and the role he plays while he is uh, not seen by us, as well as some of the times Uh, the signs of the end of times, and I can uh, write uh, a couple of those too. So inshallah, I will post those books on the group.